I'm Pastor Mike Noyes, like Pastor Josh said, and today I get to talk about a subject that is super near and dear to my heart, which is the presence of God. And it's so amazing, this whole week when I was preparing for this sermon, God just keep, kept reminding me about presence, presence. Daily, you know, prayers would come up presence of God. And it's just so amazing when he starts this downloading to you and sharing with you what he wants um, his people to hear. So with that, we're going to take a few minutes and see what Paul Tripp, the leader, the guy who wrote the book Lead, has to say about the presence of God. There is nothing more important for a leadership community than to be constantly reminded of the presence, power, promises, and grace of the Redeemer. For every leader, God's greatest gift to you is not your seminary training. God's greatest gift to you is not systematic theology. God's greatest gift to you is not your ministry calling. This will shock you. God's greatest gift to you is not even your Bible. God's greatest gift to you is the gift of himself in the presence of his son. It's Christ in us that is the hope of glory. Now, reflecting on the presence of God is both confronts and comforts. It confronts us to constantly remember that ministry is not all about us. Ministry is about him. I I love, again, Peter, as he's talking to leaders at the end of his first letter, says, humble yourself uh, underneath the mighty hand of God. Uh, In my words, Peter's just reminding leaders, there's a king, and he's not you. I need to be reminded of that. That's his church, his kingdom, his grace, his glory. It's him. Uh, it's a huge comfort because I don't, I don't have to load the horrible burden of the spiritual welfare of the people I've been called to serve on my shoulders. I do not carry my congregation. I do not carry the spiritual health of my ministry. I change no one. Jesus does all of that. I am never anything more than a tool in his hands. It's deeply discouraging to forget that it's not about my power. It's about his. And it's gloriously comforting to know that he is in us and for us and with us and no one cares more about the success of the church and the health of the kingdom of God than the Lord of the church and the King of kings. It's his presence that must be held before us every day in our leadership community. All right, can I get the band up? um, I'm just kidding. Um, Every week when we were going through this book as a pastoral team, Pastor Michael would show those, and they were all really good, but there was something different about this one, and I just, I felt like I needed to show that, because it's so good. His presence 
is his greatest gift to you in his son. I, I really enjoyed, there is a king and it's not us. Sometimes we like to take that crown and put it on and run around and pretend to be the king, but we are not the king. It is his church, his kingdom, his grace and glory. We are not qualified. He didn't use the word qualified, but it it just kept coming back this week to carry the spiritual health of his ministry. Jesus does it all. Amen? We are just tools in his presence, in his hands. He qualifies the unqualified through his presence. God's presence is our hope. God's presence is our confidence. God's presence is our refuge, and it's our courage. God's presence calls and leads you to humility and dependency on Him. God's presence is our constant motivation to continue our Christian journey. So preparing this week, I was went through and I just started to think about times and people in the Old Testament that God's presence came through in a big way. There's so many examples where the unqualified become qualified through His presence. It's so important to share these examples because you're no different than some of the people that I'm going to share these examples of. You may feel like you're not qualified. You may do things that take you out of God's presence. But when you hear that Abraham or Moses or Joshua or even King David fell out of his presence and were restored, you're going to go, if it happened to them and they were restored, why not me? God would speak to Abraham, have him leave his home and move to a foreign land. In the process, God gave all of the promises to Abraham. He would tell Abraham, I will build a great nation through you. Yet Abraham still would act in ways that would cause God's presence to maybe not be in his life. Abraham would lie. He would tell people that his wife was his sister. He would even go so far as when God's promise of having a child through Sarah, he would grow impatient, and what he would do is he actually tried to speed that up and have a child through her slave. Yet, we serve a God of second chances, amen? And through Abraham's faithful stewarding of God's presence, he would eventually bless Abraham and his family And he would be made into that great nation. Through his presence, the qualified became, or unqualified became qualified. If you guys could put up Genesis 12, 1 through 2. By the way, you all received a copy of a bunch of scriptures. I'm not going to cover any of those today. I just felt like this week, when you feel that you don't have that presence, when you maybe need to get back into God's presence, that's just a little cheat sheet for you to be able to go through and remember all the promises that God has spoken over to you. 
Uh, there's over 3,000 promises in the Bible. That I, did, I didn't have room to fit them all, but I just thought those were ones really directly related to His presence and stewarding His presence. So if you're looking down at there and go, where am I? I'm missing. No, I, I don't think I'm covering many of those. But the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Next person in the Old Testament we want to talk about is Moses. God saved Moses from certain death when he was just an infant in Egypt. Moses later would feel rejected by both of his peoples, both the Egyptians and the Israelites. He didn't feel comfortable speaking in front of other people. The Bible actually calls him as a stammerer or not fluent in speech. He would commit murder. He didn't possess the confidence to lead his people on his own. But yet, God presence would speak to him through a burning bush. God would specifically direct Moses, his life and his choices. He would actually, God's presence would shine on Moses to the point that Moses' face would glow. Through God's presence, Moses would become the leader that would lead his people out of Egypt only through his presence. Again, God's presence qualifies the unqualified. Ready for a few more? We only have like 20 more to go, so. (laughs) Pastor Josh said I have to like two. We're going to just go right into the 101. Um, If you could pull up Exodus 3, 1, Ed. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why does the bush not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. For some, time, for some reason, every time I read that, I'm thinking of Charlton Heston going up and, you know, like the old uh, Ten Commandments. I think a few of you also, because I saw some chuckles during that part as well. That was like serious, uh, you know, like special effects. That was before AI, before like, you know, like that was for real. God would speak directly to Joshua to prepare him to enter the promised land and reassured him, telling him specifically to be brave and not to fear. And this one was really interesting. When I was looking through the different examples, there was something about this scripture that I feel is so important to declare today because when we read this, I want you to really think about it because he's actually, God is telling him geographically where He's going to give him that land. And this, right now, in our world, there are, there's a war going on about 
whose areas are whose. And so I think it's so important that as we pray for Israel, we're praying for them to specifically restore themselves to this, you know, this land that was promised to them by God. So, Ed, if you can pull up Joshua 1, please. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all of these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. Hear how this is like a declaration over that holy land. And that's why it, was a, it just hit me like, oh my gosh, we have to declare this. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. In case you didn't hear it the first time, he's saying, be very courageous. You ever had God say, like, did you hear me? Yes. No, did you hear me? Be very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Amen. Those are all great examples of the unqualified being qualified through God. There's one, though, in the Old Testament that stood out far above the others. And I think that when we kind of go through this one, you're going to see how this person and how the struggles that they had just there it's us so it's david a little bit about david david was jesse's youngest son he was a shepherd and he would tend to his father's sheep in bethlehem when he defeated goliath he was a teenager probably 13 to 15 years old and he was about five feet tall I told Mark earlier, I said, Mark, just know that when I say five feet tall, I may look your way. And he said, Mike, I'm five, 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 six on a good day. So David was not allowed to be on the front lines battling the Philistines. He was like a messenger that would take food and bread and cheese to his brothers. And then he would check on his brothers and then go back and tell his dad how our how his brothers are doing. Kenny, you can start to see the tail of the tape. You're going, this guy isn't someone that should be able to take on this giant. One particular day, as David was checking on his brothers, talking to them, he heard Goliath, and he's like, who's this guy running his mouth? Why are you guys allowing this to happen? And there was a lack of power, a lack of God's presence on the front line. And David was just confused. He was like, what is going on? I don't understand this. David did not volunteer to battle Goliath because he was delusional. 
he was deeply convinced of the presence of God. And that presence of God was right with him in the valley. And because of that presence, David knew that he would be able to do things that there would be no way he could do without the presence of God. Fast forward, you all know the story, and if you don't, spoiler alert, it happened like thousands of years ago, so it's like the moratorium uh, has passed, kind of like when you watch a new movie and you have like, Michael Jones would know, probably like a week before you can start to spoil it for people. Um, David does go into battle, and his subsequent defeat of Goliath is a testament to God's presence. That key word is testament. Because when you carry God's presence into your own battles, you will be able to do things that you never thought possible. That testament of the presence of God in your life, in those battles, will transform into your testimony. And you're supposed to take that testimony and share it. Because as you share your testimony for what God's presence has done in your life, it will then empower other people. That's why the enemy of God doesn't want you to share your testimony. Because there, when you may have heard there is power in the testimony, it's literally God's presence is in your testimony. And that power is supposed to be shared with others to build them up. And then they usher in the presence of God. And then they have victory over their battles. However, David is human. He had that presence. He had that victory. But then David would kind of mess up. He would make some mistakes. Even maybe break a few commandments here or there that would separate him from God's presence. Just to name a few, he would stay in Jerusalem while instead of going to the front line and fighting for Israel. He would have an affair with a soldier's wife and subsequently have that soldier killed. Then he'd try to cover up that pregnancy, just to name a few of things that would kind of cause him to move out of God's presence. If King David was susceptible to making these mistakes that would separate him from God's presence, we also can make those mistakes. Many times we don't even intend our decisions or our actions to cause us to withdraw from God's presence or from God to withdraw from our presence or His presence from us. It's so important that we understand who our enemy is and how the enemy uses things to pull you out of God's presence. It won't be a rip out. Sometimes it'll be a slow burn, little like small little things to try to pull you out. If he can get you out a little, little more, little more. Next thing you know, you feel different. Something doesn't feel right. And that's because he has pulled you out of God's presence, just like he did David. Once he gets you out of God's presence, that's when those attacks that the enemy does 
start to affect you differently uh, because he's no longer, you're no longer under God's kind of covering. Some of these schemes that the enemy uses to pull you out, and I just felt like it was important because you need to be able to know what these are when they come across from you, across to you. Free will. Sometimes our will for our life is not aligned with God's will for our life. It's a nasty one because, you know, we, we're in this age where, you know, we want to be in control of our life. But God has such a better plan for our life. Sin. The Lord's presence is not deaf upon us or towards us when we sin. Rather, what happens is when sin happens, it actually separates you from God's presence. This one may strike a nerve. I may, George, put the tomatoes down, please. Uh, Fascination with the world or worldly things. Entertainment, social media, internet, music. All of these things could potentially separate you from God's presence. Misunderstanding, false or wrong teaching, leading listening to others instead of God. Fear, it's a tough one. Fear usually leads us to make poor decisions. Look at Abraham, that example I gave earlier. His fear when he would enter a country with his uh, beautiful wife, Sarah, to the point that, you know, I've never um, walked into somewhere with my wife and pretended that she were my, uh, and I should because you're beautiful, like, you know. But I've never had that fear where I'm like, no, that's my sister. But when Abraham does that, you can just sense that he's not making good decisions because he's acting out of fear. Doubt, lack of faith. Pastor Josh was talking about that today. Um, I was like, okay, you can get done, get off the stage so that way I can cover that one. Distractions, being too busy, shame, and pride. I'm going to spend a little time talking about pride. If we're not living with the presence and glory of God, laughing over there? If we are not living with the presence and glory of God always in focus and always as a primary motivator for all we say and do, what we say and do will be driven by the glory of self. I've been a retail manager and district manager for about 24 years. And when I first started my career, I can be completely honest, it was all about the glory of self. I wanted to perform well so I could get the next highest volume store. I wanted to perform well so I could get promoted to that next level. Sound familiar to anyone? I wanted to move to higher volume stores, higher profile promotions. And it did work for a while. I did move up. I did achieve those things. In 2009, I was promoted to becoming a district manager. However, I was not living in the presence and glory of God. And eventually, 
it would lead to my dissatisfaction in my career, a constant fear of not being good enough, insecurity, anxiety, and a need to please others that would, I could never do. Once I started to live into the presence of God and had a clear focus of who I belonged to, I became much happier in my career as well as my personal life. Fear and anxiety would turn into joy and the ability through him to speak life into people in a way I was never able to do before. My associates, the people that worked for me, were developed at a rapid level that I never anticipated, not because of what I saw in them, but what God saw in them, and I was just crazy enough to tell them what God saw. Did you hear that? They grew not because of me, but because of what God saw in them, and he shared that with me, and he said, you need to tell them these things. You need to build them up. You need to speak life into them. That's kingdom at work. That's the presence of God leading you in the world. Sales and business metrics would exceed expectations at a level that I never thought possible. I drove results when I didn't have the presence of God, but the results multiplied exponentially when I allowed God to be the one and allowed God's presence to be just rich in work. And the results now for nine straight years have been year over year at two different companies exponentially growing, not because of what I did, but because of God's presence in every day of what I do at work. Pride's a, it's a tough one. Another way pride can sneak in is if we're not doing our work with the presence and glory of God in view, that we will try to even take credit for what we could never institute or produce on our own. In the last example, it would be fairly easy for me to take credit for all of that. Earlier in my career, before I had the presence, I probably would have. But once that presence was rich and once I just felt it, I gave him the credit. And guess what? When you give him the credit, guess what he will do? He will trust you with even more. If you try to take that credit, he's not going to bless you with more. Through his presence, he will give you so much more. So when we fall victim to all of these things, the author of Lead calls it vertical amnesia, which I thought was so cool. It's like when you forget vertically, the vertical, just like, the, like almost the flow chart of how things are supposed to go. When you forget, the author says, when you forget the powerful and gracious presence of the Lord, you may also forget who you are and what is yours as God's child. That vertical amnesia 
is a tool that the enemy wants to use to create identity confusion in you. If you don't know whose you are or the what inheritance you have because of whose you are, then your identity gets kind of muddled. And that's what the enemy wants to do, wants to confuse your identity. Because once he confuses this, your identity, he has pulled you out of God's presence, and that's when he can attack you. This is a tough one, too. When you become too focused doing the things, whether it's at work or in church, you may be in danger of becoming so central to yourself that you have become what he calls a presence amnesiac. You forget what it's like to be in his presence. You're so busy that you forget to take the time to be in his presence. It's so easy in this day and age. Cell phones, luckily I don't have any on me because when I'm preaching, I put them all away because Jesus may call me and I may have to take it. Um, But it's so important that we never become so detached from his presence that we become a presence amnesiac. In Matthew, Jesus reminds us that we will prophesy in his name, cast out demons, and do amazing things in his name. However, he tells him, did I really ever know you? He wants to spend time with you. He wants you to sit in his presence. He loves it when those things happen. Don't get me wrong. But he loves it when it's in his presence and you're that tool that he uses to just usher in his presence. It's also possible to look at your life and forget that every good thing in your life is from the hands of those that are greater than yours. The enemy wants you to believe that that house that you have, that career that you have, that family that you have is because of your hard work. It's all because of Jesus. I have great news for you, though. When you fall victim to these schemes, when you maybe let pride sneak in, maybe even have vertical amnesia, forget what it's like to be in His presence. It's never too late. Remember King David. Probably, again, that example. He defeated Goliath. Because he felt so strong that the presence of God was with him. He took on a battle that no one else would take because he knew that God's presence was with him. The presence would then be removed because of what his actions were. At some level, he would, you know, you hear David in the Psalms crying out for God's presence. But yet, David would be restored, would write the Psalms, which are some of the most beautiful Scripture in the Bible. The Messiah would be through that line. That shows you that if David can make those mistakes, and God still would restore His presence to the point that Jesus would come through that line. 
he can do the same thing for you when you drift away. And guess what? When you actively steward his presence, he will guide you. He will lead you and protect you, even in situations that you would seem impossible. Hi, my name is Brian Dickinson. I'm the author of Blind Descent and Ever Solo Summiteer, as well as a former U.S. Navy aviation rescue swimmer. So today's verse of the day is Isaiah 54.10. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. So in 2011, I soloed Mount Everest. So only person up there. And then I went completely snow blind, lost my sight. I wouldn't regain it for about a month and a half. So clearly I didn't have a month and a half. I had to get down. So without overthinking it, I just, I started moving and I just, I felt this peace, this peaceful presence around me the entire time. I took a couple falls and eventually ran out of oxygen. And at that point, just, just prayed, just God, I can't do this alone. And my mountains were literally shaking and hills being removed. And in that moment, I just, I witnessed a miracle and I'm just, I feel so blessed and I'm, I'm alive today because of it. I don't know what you're going through, but I, I know that there are mountains shaking and hills that are, you know, being removed in your life. In this, this world, there's just a lot going on, whether it's the macro world or micro or a combination of both. And, you know, it may not be Everest descending blind, but it might as well be because it's real and it's real to you. God's love is prevailing. It's here. It's here forever. This world will collapse. It's, it will go away eventually. But God's love is here to stay. And I just, I truly encourage you today to just pause, be still for a moment, process what's going on in your life, and release it to God. He's waiting. He wants you to release it at that moment. Just feel that peace enter in. And as those struggles come back in, pause release it again. You know, it's, it takes a lot to break a habit, but once we get into that habit of releasing it to God, his love is there. It's, it'll be here forever. So this week, as I was preparing, that came up one morning in my feed. And I was like, wow. He literally was facing his mountain blind. And only through God's presence was he able to make it. Yeah. I just thought, and it's interesting, that one was the video that was the hardest. Uh, initially, I walked in and they were like, oh, we got the first video. The second video isn't quite working yet. And I was like, are you kidding me? That's like a testimony. His testimony, his testament of God's presence in his life on that mountain needs to be shared. What mountains do you have in your life that maybe you're facing blind right now, but that through God's presence, you'll be able to overcome, to climb that mountain, to get down off of that mountain? There's some practical things. This is where you may want to jot a couple of these down. There's some practical ways that when you have become separated from God's presence, 
that you can do in order to kind of regain that presence, to kind of insert yourself back into His presence, to invite God's presence back into your life. Number one, view Him as our constant companion. When we are always aware of His presence, we never have to wonder where He is or how He feels about us. Number two, get into the Word of God. Sometimes you may feel that you're not in His presence because you've become too busy. You maybe don't read the Word as often as you should. If you're looking to experience more of His presence in your life, use the manual. Read the manual that He left for us. Amen? Number three, have a joyful heart. The Holy Spirit offers an endless power that can affect our lives every single day. First, seek His kingdom, and the rest will fall into place. But guess what? The Holy Spirit doesn't like to hang around people that complain or grumble or whine. He, he likes to hang around someone with a joyful heart. Prayer, number four. When we pursue God's presence in our life, when we talk to God, His presence will just naturally be there. And then the last one, there's way more than five, by the way, but I didn't want Jennifer to give me extra pages in the bulletin. Um, and we have the 101, too, so I wanted to make sure we had time for that. But allow God to help you with big decisions. Instead of stressing out about those big decisions in life, approach them with a peace that God's leading will come through. When I was at that first job, when I made district manager, and when the anxiety, the frustration, the fear all set in because I wasn't acting in God's presence, God came through in a big way and said, hey, we're going to make a decision together. And God has a funny sense of humor sometimes because God's going to go like, hey, look, I'm going to give you something that's so crazy, you know it has to be from me. And I had spent 19 years at Save on Drugs, CVS Pharmacy. And I was like, I'm going to finish my career here. Like Fortune 5 company. Oh my gosh, like I've gone so far with me. And God was like, just think how much further you're going to go with me. And then he said, guess what? You're gonna, it's time for a change. And he said, you're going to go to Big Lots. And I said, you are so funny, God. I would make fun of family members that would shop at Big Lots. And he said, you are, and he would say, you know what? That's great. Guess where you're going. And I went there for three years. And with God's presence around me, did very well. And then God said, guess what? You're going to change again. And he, I said, okay, let's go for this. Where are we going? He's like, you're going to go to Party City. And I said, but hold on. Like, like hold on. Like that, I, I've seen those stores. Like, you know, kids are screaming in those stores at Halloween. You know, talk about fall into fun being a Halloween alternative. That's literally like I was the king of Halloween. I was like, I don't think I want to do this. He said, no, you're going to do it. You need to be light in a dark place. 
my presence needs to be felt there. So I said, all right, God, let's do this. Um, Crazy thing, when God's presence is leading you, I had my final interview with Party City the week that the, my boss at Big Lots told me, you're moving back to the San Fernando Valley. And I said, no, I don't think so. She's like, yeah, you are. I was like, I hate the San Fernando Valley. Nothing, like, it's just like a long commute. And, it's like this, and she's like, no, you need, I need you to do this. The, my last interview, I had a guy, my neighbor was banging on my window, all kinds of craziness. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to get this job. It must not have been from God. And then literally God moved me to Party City. Guess what? God does have a funny sense of humor. For the last two years, I've been back at Big Lots. Because he said, my work isn't done at Big Lots. My work being God's work. There was a manager that actually, um, I was talking to her, and she found out that I became a pastor. And she said, you know, I prayed you here. And I said, what? And she said, yeah, I prayed you here. Our last boss was mean. He didn't treat us well. We all had that fear, anxiety. We operated out of all of those things. So she's like, I prayed you here. And I said, oh my gosh, when did you pray? And she said, August. I said, guess what? I got a random call out of the blue in August. I'm like, dang you, you prayed me back to Big Lots. (laughs) And she was like, yes, I did. And I was like, well, that's just great. So God has a funny sense of humor when those decisions happen, it was never a thought of, is this right or wrong? Because God was so in it that he was just, you knew it had to be from God. When I was first talking to Big Lots, they were talking to me about coming back. And I remember my wife walked in on one of the conversations and I told them, no, I'm good. And she's like, what do you mean? And I was like, no, I think I'm good. And then she's like, okay. And then a week later, they came back with another offer that was like, no, God is like, no, you need to do this. This wasn't really me asking you. You're going over there. So when we're living in the awareness of his presence, our lives become less hectic and more peaceful, as well as the decisions that you make will be better. He is interested in every single part of your life. And he has a preference for the things that you do. So church, what Goliaths are you facing in your life? John, put your hand down. You know, this isn't where you share. John was going to go, my Goliath is the Seahawks. What are you facing that you feel unqualified to take on by yourself? Good news. We serve a God that qualifies the unqualified. Step into his presence and let him help face that Goliath you're facing. Together, only through him, can we become qualified. If everyone has their communion, grab it, please. We can't enter his presence without Jesus. We desperately need to be in his presence. Does anyone need one? I can toss it. Anyone? 
we so desperately need to be in His presence and need His presence in us. Through His body and blood, we can become qualified. There is no other way besides this. If you need it, Shannon has some. Raise your hand. Shannon Jeremy probably needs two. I know him. On the night before he died, Jesus took the bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples, saying, take this. This is my body. Now take the physical body of Jesus into you. His body in you, His presence in you. Then He took the cup, and we had given thanks, and He had given thanks. They all drank from it. This is my blood, a new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. This is what makes us right with sin. This is what allows us to be in the presence of God. Like I said earlier, sin, God will not hang around sin. It's only with the blood of Jesus that we can be made right and get into His presence. Take the blood and be forgiven of your sin. Through His body and blood, His presence rests in us. If I could get the band to come up, please, and the ushers. Like Pastor Josh said, we, and I think Pastor Josh nailed it, we do not bury our talents at this church. Every penny, and I can... I can say that with 190% confidence. Every penny that you give is reinvested in the church. It's reinvested in the pastoral staff, in the staff, in the building. It is, it's, we do not bury our talents. So thank you as you give back and help us to continue to advance the kingdom. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for blessing us with this offering. Thank you for just the lives that it impacts. Thank you that people will come to fall into fun and nativity. And because of this offering and the faithfulness of your people, that families will be transformed, that the gates of hell will not prevail in Claremont because of this church. And we bless everyone in this room as they give back to you. Thank you, Lord. I sing praises to your name.
before you leave, I'm going to give you a blessing. This blessing is out of the book of Colossians. So bow your heads and open your hands, please, as God wants you to receive his presence. May you live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience, that you may give joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Amen? Amen. Have a great week, church. If you're feeling this week that that presence, you just don't have enough of it, take that sheet of paper with you. And there's promises. His promises for his presence in your life are there. Have an amazing week, church, and hope to see you soon.